trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. I don't know if this is your first foray into wrong think, but uh, if it is, well, I would encourage you come pull up a chair. Let's uh, let us sit and uh, and enjoy one another's company. I'm not here to tell you what to think, by the way. I'm here to just share some hopefully uh, thought provoking commentaries and stories that will uh, break you out of the mainstream media trance, which is designed not to inform you or to empower you, but rather to keep you from getting too close to uncomfortable truths about uh, who really is running your life or would like to run your life. So with that in mind, if you're still with me, if that doesn't scare you away, let's dive right in. I actually posted this one in my show notes yesterday, but I didn't have time to share it. I, I want to jump into this with an article from James Howard Kunstler, what it's really about. And the reason I want to start with James Howard Kunstler is he has such a great, and by great, I mean clear, just specific take on what is happening, uh, particularly in the case of uh, the FBI's response to the Twitter files. I mean, we have learned a lot with the release of these Twitter files. And I'm not saying the conspiracy theorists are always 100% correct, but you know what? They pretty much nailed this when they said the U.S. government was working with big tech, especially the big social media companies, to try to suppress certain points of view and certain voices. Turns out it was right. And we know this for sure because of these internal documents coming out of Twitter. I think we can also infer that uh, the mainstream media's uh, studied, uh, you know, indifference to it. Well, it's a nothing burger. There's nothing going on there. Tells us that, yeah, there, there really is something going on there because they are, after all, narrative managers. They're, they're also there to enforce, you know, the politically acceptable opinions of the day. So now we know for sure Twitter was actually being paid by the FBI, among others, the Department of Justice, to uh, to suppress certain voices, certain points of view. We know what was going on. The, the, the receipts are there. So what is it really all about? All right, well, here's first we'll start with the FBI press release in response to the Twitter files. It is unfortunate that conspiracy theorists and others are feeding the American public misinformation with the sole purpose of attempting to discredit the agency. Yeah, I'll, I'll wait a second for your gag reflex to, <laughs> to switch off. James Howard Kunstler says what's most appalling about the Twitter revelations of the Intel community's years-long stranglehold on social media is not just the evil effery itself of the FBI, CIA, and others colluding to gaslight the U.S. electorate, but the fact that there is no institution in the land that can intervene to adjudicate or discipline these rogue agencies. Nobody expects the FBI's parent, the Department of Justice, to look into any of this. Now, not so many years ago, the force balancing criminal misconduct in the government was the news media, as even if the reporters and editors claimed to be on the political left, or shall we say especially if they were on the political left, because the left in those days was fervently for free speech. He says reporters of that long-ago day, we're talking names like Seymour Hirsch, John Sack, and Michael Herr, would be out digging up the true facts of a big event, say the U.S. military's deadly blunders and scams in Vietnam. 
and editors would plaster screaming headlines about it on the front page. General says, we had to destroy the village to save it. When the venerable news spieler Walter Cronkite of CBS began to hint that the war was a fiasco, public opinion across the country shifted decisively against it. Now, James Howard Kunstler says, of course, those crimes and sins were committed against people in distant lands. Now the administrative weight of the U.S. is rolling over its own citizens and the Constitution. And the news media is uniformly and enthusiastically in favor of suppressing the news about it. How that happened is one of several cosmic mysteries of our time, along with who exactly runs Joe Biden. That's in quotation marks. And how did the many nations of Western Civ adopt in lockstep COVID-19 response policies aimed at harming their own people? No reporter, even of the Alt-News division, even tried to get inside the head of New York Times executive editor Dean Baquet during the years of Russiagate. Did he believe all that crap his paper was putting out? Now you realize it's an established fact in the federal court record that the, that the Steele dossier and everything spun off of it was a flim-flam confected by Hillary Clinton's campaign. But even at the time, say 2017 to 2019, independent journalists were reporting the truth about it. For example, the FBI's long-running fraud in the FISA court, while the New York Times ardently invade against any emerging fact pattern that broke through its wall of propaganda. The Times was showered with awards for that, including the Pulitzer Prize for its completely fallacious Russiagate coverage. Now, one easy answer, he says, is that the Times and many of its legacy cohorts, the Washington Post, CBS, NBC, ABC, have volunteered to be the public relations office of the Democratic Party, covering up anything and everything the party does against the public interest. And while that appears to be the case, it still doesn't explain how these outfits became the enemies of truth itself, and by extension, enemies of reality. So Kunstler says the easy answer to that is the psychological derangement provoked by Donald Trump when he entered politics, and the absolute fugue state of deranged fury that blossomed among the elite when Mr. Trump had the temerity to actually win a national election, since he was perceived to be the avatar of all these subhuman boobs dwelling in the great darkness between New York and Los Angeles. But that explanation has an odor of contrivance. Those benighted boobs were the very people who most deserved the Democratic Party's sympathy. The folks who had toiled in the great factories, now shuttered and offshored, who volunteered for America's wars without complaint, who were suffering now in idleness and poverty. The party of Franklin, Roosevelt, and Harry Truman suddenly wanted to crush these deplorable people. Huh? Could it be that the educated and creatives of the coastal elites, the thinking class, the politically active on the left had become so callous and arrogant as to dismiss the suffering little people they once worked to protect and defend? Or had that just been an act? One thing for sure, the Democratic Party lost this group as core constituents, and they had to search elsewhere for a voter base. Another thing that changed along the way, the Democratic Party became dominated by activist women who exhibited two outstanding tendencies of behavior. They tended to make decisions on the basis of emotion, their feelings about this and that, and they were much more ruthless in political battle than men. Their emotions eclipsed age-old principles, such as the ideas of fair play. In short, they resorted almost automatically to dirty fighting. That's probably at the heart of what's most confounding and vexing about the great political in America today. We are under a vile spell of pervasive dirty fighting. Dirty fighters have no respect for reality or principle. They do whatever they can to win the fight, 
Bad faith is the order of the day, hence the battle over elections will be conducted and who gets to vote. Over how elections will be conducted and who gets to vote. You can read about it in Mondays, that's December 26th, New York Times. As the above-the-fold story titled, Democrats Feeling New Strength Plan to Go on Offense on Voting Rights. The story says, now it is Democrats who retained all but one of the governor's offices they hold and one control of state legislatures in Michigan and Minnesota who are ready to go on offense in 2023. They are putting forward a long list of proposals that include creating automatic voter registration systems, pre-registering teenagers to vote before they turn 18, returning the franchise to felons released from prison, and criminalizing election misinformation. Note those last three words. The Times boldly announces that opinion about elections should now be subject to criminal prosecution if it deviates from whatever the official story is. As determined by whom? He asks, well, that would be a judicial apparatus controlled by the Democratic Party. Who else might it be? The Times doesn't venture to say. Now, Kunzler also says you can see the party doesn't believe in any principle that states who or why somebody should be qualified to vote. Sign up people who manage to get a driver's license, whether they're citizens or not. Sign up the convicted criminals and the children. Dirty fighting equals dirty elections. So this is the direction our country has been going in. James Howard Kunzler says, I can only offer one note of consolation about what looks like a pretty demoralizing predicament. What you're seeing is the end product of of a certain era in the late stage life of a society. Now, obviously, it has ended badly. The catch is, we are entering a new era of American life. An era of deep economic disorder, especially that will go very hard on the nation, that will rearrange many of the social categories we take for granted now. That will compel people of all classes to pay attention to reality, to what actually works, and who actually knows how to work what works. In that disposition of things, dirty fighting will be recognized for what it is. And he says perhaps the biggest part of that unspooling event will be the bankruptcy and failure of the government in Washington, its consequent loss of legitimacy, and the end of its ability to control and harass the people who live under it. He asks, think I'm kidding? Stand by now and wait for it. That's kind of optimistic. I mean, from a certain point of view. It also is a little bit scary from a certain point of view. Look, I don't think it's any secret. Uh, We are in some very tumultuous times. I can tell you this. What will make the greatest difference in the world around us is whether you and I are people of sound character. That's the one thing we have absolute control over. That is where our efforts are best spent. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Want to give a quick shout out to my sponsors, including MonticelloCollege.org, as well as LifesavingFood.com. If you want to check out my website, TheBrianHydeShow.com, you can also subscribe to my show notes. I will go about each day and compile a nice little tidy collection of articles that uh, shed light on some of the issues that maybe aren't being talked about in more mainstream sources. Now, you may say, well, so this is where all the nuttery is contained, you know, in one uh, easy-to-access link. Yes, that's actually pretty much what I'm saying. But the difference is, 
I'm not insisting that, uh, hey, you have to, by clicking on this, you agree, you're going to nod your head in, in solemn agreement with everything that I'm presenting or everything that I'm sharing with you. What you do with this information, that's up to you. It's your mind. I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm just here to offer some things for your consideration that you're not likely to find in other places. I also have links to different resources for wrong thinkers that will help, you know, sift through all the different, uh, this the, just the blizzard of information that we're having blasted at us pretty much 24-7. It's hard to know what is actually of substance and what's just ephemera. In other words, little distractions that keep us occupied but don't really give us anything of substance. I'm not saying that I'm an expert. I'm just saying that... Uh, my focus is on things that help you better understand the world around you as well as what you and I can be doing as individuals to make a difference, the right kind of difference. So one thing I would offer for your consideration is uh, that there is a lot of truth to the saying, follow the money. Case in point, I've got an article here from Ron Paul on how the uh, recently passed omnibus bill shows Congress's priorities. And if you were thinking, well, well, they're here to take care of us. They're here to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. No, uh, Ron Paul says, actually, Congress's priorities are authoritarianism and war. He says, those hoping for a Christmas time government shutdown were once again disappointed when Congress passed a 4,000-page, $1.7 trillion omnibus appropriations bill that few, if any, rep representatives and senators read before voting on. The Republican leadership celebrated this bloated monstrosity because it spent $858 billion on warfare while only spending $772.5 billion on welfare. Now, he says no one should think that Republican insistence on more warfare than welfare spending means Democrats oppose the warfare state. Under President Biden and a Democrat-controlled Congress, defense spending has increased by 4.3% over the last two years. Similarly, every Republican president in recent years, including two who had a Republican-controlled Congress for at least part of their term, supported huge increases in welfare state spending. Most Democrats only pretend to oppose warfare, and most Republicans only pretend to oppose welfare to appease their party's respective bases. The omnibus appropriates a $44.5 billion giveaway to Ukraine. Merry Christmas, Mr. Zelensky. This brings the total U.S. spending on Ukraine's military to over $100 billion, approximately 50% more than Russia's entire military budget. Now, this money is spent in a conflict that does not affect U.S. security, yet one that would likely have not occurred if it were not for prior U.S. meddling in the region. The omnibus bill provides $11.3 billion for the Federal Bureau of Investigation, a $569.6 million increase and $524 million above the president's request. According to Democratic leadership, the funding increases so the FBI can better fight extremist violence and domestic terrorists. That's you and me, just in case you're wondering. Ron Paul says the public recently learned what the FBI considers an appropriate way to fight extremism with the release of emails between Twitter officials and the FBI. These memos show the Bureau was working with Twitter and almost certainly other social media companies to suppress certain stories, such as Hunter Biden's laptop and points of view such as skepticism regarding masks, lockdowns, and vaccine mandates. The Bureau even used taxpayer funds to reimburse Twitter for the cost of implementing these requests. Government officials working with private companies to silence American citizens is a clear violation of the First Amendment. 
Now, he says this is hardly the first time the FBI has violated the constitutional rights of American citizens. In fact, since its founding, the Bureau has targeted political activists and leaders such as Martin Luther King, whose agenda was considered extreme or dangerous by the Bureau's corrupt leadership. The idea of a national police force with the power to target Americans because of their political beliefs would have horrified the drafters of the Constitution. Ron Paul says the federal government has no constitutional authority over criminal law except for cases of piracy, counterfeiting, and treason. Libertarians, constitutional conservatives, and progressives who still care about about civil liberties should join together to defund the FBI. The fiscal year 2022 omnibus appropriations bill expands government, reduces liberty, and increases government debt, forcing the Federal Reserve to monetize more debt, leading to more price inflation. Our political elites prioritize militarism abroad and authoritarianism at home, addressing the problems facing the American people, like the Federal Reserve's destructive monetary policy. Rather, This will fuel growing discontent with the political system. And as the economy continues to worsen and the attempt to run the world continues to result in failures, the discontent will grow until the welfare warfare system collapses and hopefully a new era of liberty, peace, and prosperity dawns. You can see kind of like uh, James Howard Kunstler, Ron Paul ends on an optimistic note. And I know for, for those whose faith is in the government, if this is, if, you know, if that is your religion, you know, this is, this is probably the scariest thing you could hear. What are you saying? It's going to collapse. I do agree with both of these gentlemen, though. It is going to collapse. It is so corrupted. It is so rotted from within. And the FBI, I'm sorry to, to say, is it's rotting from the head down. There's going to come a point where it's, it's going to be very clear that just like the KGB or just like the Gestapo, we're going to realize collectively that the FBI and its operatives are in no way friends or uh, defenders of, of the American people. They are defenders of a system that is trying to subjugate and enslave us. And I'm sorry to speak so bluntly. Wow, hope I don't end up on a list somewhere. Wink, wink. But I think the truth has to be spoken. Right now, it's still relatively risk-free to, to speak such truths. But I think you can see, if you're paying attention, you probably notice we're rapidly approaching a time where, where this kind of speech is going to be, if not uh, criminalized, at least severely discouraged, probably resulting in a knock on the door from agents. We understand you've been saying some things that are unkind about our beloved, uh, our beloved agency. I don't know what to tell you other than this, when it starts to get scary, when it starts to get uh, risky to speak the truth, that's a time when people really need to speak the truth without apology. And hopefully it doesn't, you know, I mean, I really sincerely hope I'm not coming off like some wild-eyed radical for saying these kind of things. To some people, of course, it's going to, well, you've always been a wild-eyed radical. Now, I could be wrong, but I feel like I'm a, I'm a pretty reasonable, down-to-earth guy I'm not asking for power over people. I'm not trying to control other people. All I ask is to be left alone, to be, to be able to pursue happiness and to be able to pursue, you know, my life's dreams without interference and without the, uh, the boot of whoever happens to be in power at the moment resting on the back of my neck. But we have many generations now, multiple generations who've been trained to see any desire for personal or individual freedom 
as selfish, as extreme, as dangerous, as not under the control of the state, which according to the statist creed means, by definition, it's out of control. We do live in interesting times. So whoever wished that curse, may you live in interesting times. They got their wish. We're there. We can't change the fact that these are interesting times. What we can change is uh, our determination to be the kind of people who will make those interesting times something that ends on a positive note, as both James Howard Kunstler as well as Ron Paul have pointed out. When the rotten system comes collapsing down, I hope I'm around to cheer. Heck, I may even tinkle on the ashes. I don't know. But it'll be a better day when it's gone. That much I do know. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Okay, I understand, you know, the last couple of segments. <laughs> I've been getting some things off my chest. And it's funny because I just I just pulled up my Twitter account and I had uh, I had received a very nice compliment uh, from a gentleman who was uh, tuning in in Johannesburg, Cape Town, South Africa. I think this this may be my my most distant listener on the planet. So Brent, I want to say thank you. And this is the part that gets me is uh, Brent was very kind. Brent said, "Brian, I like your straightforward, commonsensical approach." So Brent, I hope I haven't just blown that out of the water and you're thinking, oh my gosh, this guy really is a, a frothing at the mouth idiot. But um, I'm, I'm really passionate about what I'm talking about today. I believe this matters. And I believe that the, the people who find this show and who find the different articles that I share here, you probably realize that. Maybe you're willing to put up with things that are uncomfortable because you know deep down this matters. And I think the, the halls of eternity are, are long, we're going to have some time to contemplate the choices that we made in this world. And I, I can't think of a, 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 a tame way to say this, so I'm just going to come right out and say it. I want to be able to look those people in the eye who stood for personal freedom, freedom of conscience, freedom of speech, liberty, private property rights, the free market. I want to look at those who sacrificed and in some cases paid the ultimate price to defend those things and tell them I did my part as well. I didn't just try to coast on, you know, your efforts and, and ride it on through. I was willing to, to do heavy lifting myself. I was willing to suffer as you suffered. I know that seems really idealistic, but I am inspired by people who, who, have, who have done this. And, and by the way, I'm not just talking about, you know, the American founders. Yes, I think there were some truly remarkable individuals and people whose examples I would love to follow and try to follow. But I'm talking about other individuals, too. And I'm talking people like Sophie Scholl, who was a member of the White Rose Society in Nazi Germany during World War II. She and her fellow students at the University of Munich they, they passed out leaflets in defiance of the law, urging the German people to stop supporting this madman who was leading them and their country to its destruction. And for her efforts, she and other members of the White Rose were caught, they were tried, she was executed. That's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty tall order. 
But I kid you not. I I look at uh, Sophie Scholl as as one of the truest heroes and one of the one of the greatest examples of courage, speaking truth to power. And she she by the way justified why did you do such a thing? Why would you? In fact, I think she was asked by the Gestapo in investigator. You know why would you do this? You had such, you had the prospect of a good life. You know you had all these things available to you. Why would you throw it away? And she talked about her conscience. Her conscience wouldn't let her stay quiet. And then beyond that, I mean, we all have a conscience, right? Sometimes we get pretty good at ignoring it. But her response was, and this is what she said in court, someone had to make a start. Someone had to show that it could be done or that it should be done. In other words, they had to lead by example. In her case, it it cost her. She was killed on the guillotine and, uh, you know, that... And, and considered a traitor, you know, denounced her family, punished all of her friends, punished because she defied the regime that was in power at the time. But you look at it now from the, the hindsight of uh, 80 years down the road. And what do we see? She was definitely on the right side of history. She was on the right side of morality. And had the courage to stand up at a time where it was extremely dangerous to do so. We are not nearly in that kind of danger today. But I'm speaking out for the sake of those people who likewise feel that that same stirring in their veins. That uh, I can't just sit back and watch this thing you know, go off the rails without at least trying to do something. Trying to be somewhat of a source of light in a world that desperately needs it. So that's who I'm speaking to. And I figure, you know, by now, if, if that's the kind of stuff that really makes you uncomfortable, you probably switched off and, and you know, run for the hills. And I, I don't blame you. Not everybody is ready for that, uh, that perspective. Not everybody is ready to step up to that. And that doesn't mean that they're inferior in some way. It just means that it's not something they are prepared for. But I know with certainty there are people who feel this way. I know there are people who are just looking for the encouragement of knowing, look, you're not alone. There are others who likewise have that deep conviction, who would would willingly risk it all to stand up for what is true, what is beautiful, what is good, what is right. So I hope that that's what you're getting. I, I saw a great, uh, oh, i got to find this. This was a, a remarkable quote. I saw this on Twitter, which, you know, this is really something, you know, here it is. Patrick Carroll, he writes for the Foundation for Economic Education. He says, when you approach Twitter with the goal of adding value instead of weighing in, the quality of your conversations goes up quite a bit. Same goes for your approach to life. Those words really touched my heart as I read that because that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not just trying to, you know, hey, I'm here to vent my spleen. Thank you for listening to me as I, you know, get it all out of my system. Now, there are times when I do feel like, okay, I got that off my chest and I feel much better. But at the root of everything that I share with you, my goal is to add value to your understanding of the world and, and to, to speak the kind of encouragement that strengthens you and, and gives you, you know, that, that gentle kick in the seat of the pants to, to stay strong, to stand your ground, to hold that high ground that you're currently occupying. All right. Let me move on here. Matthew Boos has this excellent essay on who is trying to radicalize the right in America. And, and I'm not presuming that everybody listening to this show is, you know, on the political right. 
but I know for a fact that the political right has really been demonized. This, If you're on the political right, if you're not chanting in unison and raising your fist in solidarity, well, guess what? You're a fascist to some people who coincidentally behave like fascists and going out there trying to promote their point of view. Matthew Booth says, The term far right is applied far too liberally these days, but the right has doubtless moved away from conservatism and toward a more radical form of politics. There aren't too many defectors from Donald Trump's camp who feel the man is too extreme. Rather, the argument from Trump's right is that he's not disciplined enough, as the online right likes to say, to crush our enemies. Now, whether Trump, Ron DeSantis, or some other figure is the Republicans' nominee in 2024, the frontrunner will not win the hearts of that base by appealing to what conservatives are pleased to call principle and speaking in a transatlantic accent. That person will do it by showing he is strong and can be a protector to half the nation. Just as an aside, what he's describing here is a phenomenon known as America's Man on Horseback. There's a remarkable book out there written by Guy Odom that uh, describes this phenomenon. He called it 20, 25 years ago. America's Man on Horseback. In other words, things are going to get so bad that we will welcome a dictator or dictator-like behavior, a strong man who will be very ruthless in power. And I know that there are those who are, oh, Brian, look at what the Democrats are doing. Look, I get what the Democrats are doing is wrong. We're being ushered into a, an almost communist type of existence. But the danger here that Matthew Booth is, war, is warning about is we cannot let our desire to uh, either escape that or to punish those who are trying to impose, you know, communist collectivism on us. We can't allow that to, to, to outweigh our love for liberty to the point that we're willing to embrace someone willing to impose conservative flavored, you know, uh, hard line politics on others. And I know right here, I'm going to lose some people. Oh, you're not, you're not talking about fighting fire with fire. All I know is if you, if you want to take the, if you want to do the right thing, you've got to use methods that are morally sound. The ends don't justify the means. And the higher the goal, as Leonard E. Reed would have said, the higher the methods that we must use in order to approach that. All right, back to Matthew Boos's article. Of course, the whole purpose of constitutions is to limit power. He says, in a constitutional system like ours, one is not supposed to be motivated by crushing one's enemies. This has never been the inclination or aim of conservatives who do not share the left's aversion to limits on political power, but things have changed. What happens when one side has no regard for the Constitution or the limits of power? The goodwill of the conservative has been mercilessly abused, and he's seeking shelter from the obscene freak show of anarchy and disorder that's descended upon his country. He says Joe Biden is but the vessel of the deranged, domineering spirit behind the corruption. This maligned force is not the beneficent liberalism of the founders who cherished freedom of speech, religion, and opinion, and of course the right to bear arms and its implicit right of revolution. It's a tyrannical will that asserts total ownership of everything, proudly celebrates evil by calling it good, treats people decent people like terrorists, exalts criminals and the insane, snatches children from parents, then requires submission to itself in mind and body, for citizens to earn bread. By the way, that's a pretty spot-on depiction of not only where we are, but where we continue to be headed. We're going to come back to Matthew Boos's article. If you want to read it for yourself, it is in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Please stay with us. We'll be back right after this. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I don't know, do you think, man, he's losing it today. <laughs> he's off on a tear. Uh, I am, I'm feeling especially passionate today, but it's because I have found some truly great commentaries that I think zero in on the problem before us. Right now, I'm sharing an article from Matthew Boos about who radicalized the right. And I think he, he describes this very well. Just to, to recap, you know, it's, it's the idea that we are, we are facing right now a tyrannical will in the political class, particularly the left wing of the political class, that asserts total ownership of everything, proudly celebrates evil by calling it good, treats decent people like terrorists, exalts criminals, George Floyd, and the insane, snatches children from their parents and requires submission to itself in mind and body for citizens to earn bread. Get the jab or lose your job. Hmm? Sound familiar? And he says, on top of it all, the means of democratic recourse appear to be slipping. Our elections are a third world sham. Millions of foreigners with no right to be here live in the country without fear of removal. Their numbers are growing under the explicit protection of an administration whose party, in between giving lectures on the rule of law, brags about replacing and disenfranchising the country's natives. Matthew Booth says the country is changing fast. A decade ago, the left said, we just want gays to be able to marry. Now they say, we just want to parade our depraved fetishes in public and sexualize children. Faced with all of this, a Caesar who promises to sweep away the trash begins to look appealing to many, especially those on the other side when those on the other side are disingenuous, like our leftists, and appeal to principles they themselves do not believe in to get their way. No, the left doesn't care about constitutionalism, democracy, liberalism, or any of the high phrases that pepper their pompous speeches. Like a communist popular front, these are just words they use to put a benign face on tyranny and blackmail their opponents into unilateral disarmament. Most on the right have awoken to this, which is why, outside of a handful of naive but sincere conservatives, few went out of their way to condemn Trump when he apparently called to suspend the Constitution. Now, by the same token, there aren't too many free speech absolutists on the right shedding tears for the liberal journalists briefly put on timeout by Elon Musk. Why bother defending those who militate against free speech except to defend kiddie drag shows and racial propaganda in schools and who would, if given the opportunity, censor all opposition from the right without hesitation? He says this may not be a principled way of thinking as some conservatives understand it, but it's not an unreasonable but it is not an unreasonable approach in such times of enmity and trouble. The increasingly medieval nature of American politics has left many feeling that a faith in what used to be called principle is outdated and foolish. The two dominant factions now resemble hostile nations living under one government while speaking completely foreign languages. Consequently, politics has become a struggle for survival in which, because of universal suffrage, all are conscripted. The inconsequential noise of mutual recrimination leads many to tune out, but to do so, to, re- to remain unallied, is to let oneself be trampled. Matthew Booth says, This is a sad state of affairs, but it is reality. The inducements for the right to ditch conservatism are likely to multiply as the conflict deepens. Convulsions of disorder worsen, and more people on the right begin to realize they will never be left alone. The irony is that the left, in the process of steamrolling normal people, 
may have created the very fascists they claim to be against. That's kind of a bitter pill, isn't it? And by the way, that's don't misunderstand that to mean, well, so they were right then. You guys really are fascists, and you know all they've been trying to do is prevent this fascist regime from taking hold. I think what he's pointing to is something that's uh, a little more subtle, but still very disturbing and very possible. And that is simply, look, when, when people have been pushed far enough, when the American people have been pushed, especially the American political right, has been pushed far enough and it puts its foot down and says, enough, the snapback is going to be epic. And I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm not saying it's our right thing. I'm just saying that when the time comes that, uh, that enough people on the right realize that uh, our system of laws no longer protects them, they will then become lawless. And they will then act with as much, well, they'll act with, with as much violence or as much uh, uh, ferocity against those who were trying to subjugate them as is necessary to eradicate the threat. That is... That's a scary, dark thing. So don't think for a moment I'm saying, and it's going to be awesome. It's not. We will all lose greatly when that happens. But that definitely seems to be the end towards which we're being pushed. This is why I'm such a stickler for we've got to decide. You and I have to decide for ourselves. What kind of person am I going to be? Am I going to be a builder? Am I going to be a destroyer? Am I going to be a defender? Or am I going to be someone who's out there, you know, taking the fight to other people? Now, you may think I'm tap dancing. I'm not wearing tap shoes, but I have to say this. I believe that there are things, principles, and, and, and other things that cannot be wrapped up as principles. Family, religion, personal freedom, conscience. There are things for which it is justified to shed blood in defending them. And I don't think that's, that's something that should be taken lightly. I'm thinking this is one of the greatest matters of conscience that any one of us will face. Where do you draw the line and say, I will stand and fight rather than submit to, to something that's being put, up, put upon me? I can't answer that question for you. You know, I, I think we've had the opportunity, though, to examine, you know, some of our own personal lines in the sand. I've, I've said this numerous times over the last couple of years, you know, when when the vaccines first came out, by the way, YouTube is, is doing a pretty good job of censoring me anytime I bring this up. So YouTube censors, here's your here's your cue. You'll want to remove this content. When the vaccine mandates came out, I had a pretty clear line in the sand. In fact, actually, when the mask mandates began, I had a line in the sand saying, look, don't step over this line. I'm not going to be forced to do something against my conscience. And when the vaccines came out and it was like, well, here's a great idea. We encourage everybody, go get this shot, you know, and this is going to protect you from getting the virus and it's going to stop the transmission of the virus, which, by the way, it hasn't and it doesn't. I'm sorry, but these, these are facts now. I know. Well, yeah, that disagrees with what the CDC says. Well, the CDC's wrong. It's not the first time. It's not the last time. They're wrong. So there. But that line in the sand became a trench not because I'm a guy who's spoiling for a fight, but because they just kept pushing. I wish I could do a better Sylvester Stallone impression. You know, John Rambo, why'd you have to push? <laughs> you know, it's, you didn't have to push people. You didn't have to put them on this, this uh, 
the horns of a dilemma. You either take the shot or you lose your job. You either take the shot, you either get the vaccine passport, or you don't get to participate in society. But that's exactly what they did. So I guess what I'm pointing out here is we've had the chance to to kind of see a little uh, hint of what this might be like. Don't think for a moment, just because right now, you know, you don't see people pushing too hard on, you know, various COVID-related mandates. Don't think that those people who pushed those kinds of of, uh, conscience-limiting, freedom-limiting policies on us have backed off and realized, okay, we were wrong, you know, we're going to change our tune and we're just going to leave you alone. They're not. The next way that they are coming after us is going to be by changing our money into a digital currency which will then make our lives an absolute open book to whoever is in charge of that monetary system or the government over which or under which that monetary system operates. Yeah, it used to sound like conspiracy theory. I've heard people talk about this for a long time. Don McIlvaney was warning about this 25 years ago or better. But it's rapidly becoming a reality. And this is where the decision-making is going to get tough because if you really want to, uh, you want to participate in a society, you're going to be told and you have to accept this currency. It's almost like there's a mark that you have to, to receive in your head or in your hand, you know, if you want to buy, sell, or trade. Hmm? Sound familiar? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's the biblical mark of the beast, but I'm just thinking if it's not, it's probably missing a good opportunity. This much I do know. People who are committed to the idea of personal conscience, individual liberty, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, property rights, the ability to voluntarily take part in the free market to solve problems and create value, you are about to be tested in ways that I don't know that any of us really could have uh, anticipated. We're about to find out what we're each made of individually. So my goal here isn't to make you fearful. It's not to make you angry. I'm not handing you pitchforks and telling you, go that direction. (laughs) Be angry with them. I'm instead asking you to do something that's a lot tougher, and that is really know who you are and what you stand for. And just to be clear, I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't been willing to do myself. This isn't about navel-gazing. This is about really understanding what matters most in your life, where you are willing to make a stand, where you're willing to plant that flag, what hill you're willing to die upon. And if you can't think of one, maybe it's time to do some deeper thinking. This is The Brian Hyde Show.